The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Good morning. Um, today our scripture is Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. You can follow along on the screen behind me or pick up one of the Bibles under the seats. It's on page 911. Um, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. So it's interesting how a normal day that just kind of starts just like every other day can become kind of a, a milestone day for you. You know what that's like? Like you, you wake up in the morning and you don't anticipate. It's just like a, hey, it's just a normal day. And then something happens that day. It could be good or it could be bad. That becomes a, a mile marker, a milestone for you. A, a day like that happened for Megan and I about eight-ish, nine years ago. I don't even know what the date is because it was just it happened just to be a normal day. Uh, I was, uh, if you guys don't know, uh, in 2005, I started my own business and uh, at this point, I was working out of my house at an office, and I was uh, doing some work and had some, uh, actually had a John Piper and Matt Chandler kind of interview going on in the background as I was doing some, some Friday work, um, some financial stuff. And, and as they were talking, uh, Meg and I, we had a, a pretty comfortable life. We had a comfortable house. At this point, we had a, a a uh, young daughter and a uh, good church that we were part of. And if anybody was looking on from the outside, you'd say, man, life is pretty smooth and comfortable and great for you guys. And it, it was. Our, our, our marriage was, was pretty good. And, you know, things were just pretty good overall. It would be the sort of thing like, hey, let's just kick this into, into cruise control. Let's just go through life and have nice vacations and, you know, live the deal. Uh, but something happened that day. I, I was doing the work, and this thought came to my head uh, out of the blue, really, I said, you know what I really want to do with my life, okay? So, like, remember, I got a house, mortgage, a, a business I began, a, a child, a wife, like, a, a lot of stuff going on, but this thought comes into my head, that, hey, you know what I would really like to do with my life, like, really like to do with my life? I would, there's nothing more I'd like to do than to preach the gospel and live life with a community of people on mission, and that just kind of erupted in me. I knew what that meant. That meant being like helping to lead a church. And I knew at the moment it meant planting a church. And, and that thought was just kind of overwhelming. I cried like a little baby. And I left my office. And a few minutes after, I kind of controlled myself a, a little while later. And I went to the bedroom and said, Megan, this thing just happened. And I told her what had happened. And she looked at me with like panicky eyes, like, what does that mean? I'm like, I, she's, I said, I don't know what that means. But I think I have to explore what that means. And she's like, that I can agree with. And that began a process for us, a 
long process of just figuring out what exactly did that mean, what did we had to do, we're going to move, we're going to go here, there. We came pretty close to move to Arkansas of all places and like just kind of wrestling things, but no offense, uh, but just of all places, not like the, the top of like, you know, destinations if you're coming from here. And, 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 and I'm and it began this whole process of figuring out, like, what, are we, what, are this, what does this mean? And it became very clear to us that it meant we have to plant a church. It meant from being like, hey, maybe we should to, hey, I think we might, to like, we have to do this. And where does that, like, where could it be? Anywhere in the world, and it just kind of moved of all places, like it moved back to like, it's got to be Myrtle Beach, it's got to be right here where I grew up. It's got to be right here where Megan's lived for most of her life. It's got to be right here because if you guys can own this, like Myrtle Beach is kind of a weird place to live, right? Let's just be honest. Myrtle Beach is a weird place to live, but it's a fast-growing area. And you know what? There are tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people in the Myrtle Beach region who do not know the beauty that is found in the face of Jesus Christ. And somebody has to love them, somebody has to reach them, and somebody has to love this city because people come here, they move through this region, it's a search for the endless summer. There are college students, there are retirees, there are young families, and like, hey, I vacationed there, it seems like a cool place, like maybe I'll move there. They get here, and they have no history, no background, and they just kind of use the area until they move on, and, and there's very little roots here, and it's like somebody has to put down some roots, and somebody has to love this area and love these people. That day became a mile marker for Megan and my life that changed the course of our life. Well, thank you, Auntie. And then, <laughs> and just editorial comment at the beginning of 2019, you know, I know some of you guys might be Presbyterians or, you know, backseat Baptists or whatever, like, but I will welcome every now and then just a little bit of feedback, and you could even say that's totally wrong. At least I'd have no, like, you're paying attention, okay? But so, so, so we sort of share this idea in what I call, or at least called now, the OG 16. There were 16 grown-ups, uh, 16 adults who said, hey, we believe in this with you. And we were a motley crew, man. We were from all kinds of different backgrounds. Some of them came willingly. Some of them came excitedly. Some came maybe because they were related to me. Uh, some came... Comes, some came totally like against their will, Justin Kramer. Like, just like, hey, I, have, I don't want to do this, but the Lord has said I have to do this. Uh, Jonathan, he was the first person to tell me, hey, we're signing on board with this thing. I'd had like maybe three conversations with the guy beforehand. And he said, hey, uh, we're going to be with you with this doxa thing, but don't let that like, uh, don't feel good about yourself. It's just because God said to do it. I'm like, okay, well. <laughs> I'll take that. And along this way, that 16 has grown, and it's been, uh, I would say, a fun journey. Uh, my wife might say in some days, I think it's been a rewarding journey along the way. It's brought relationships into Megan and my life that we would not have had otherwise. We've experienced a depth of community, not just of doing church, but a depth of community and love that I had never experienced before. It's really the dream of me. Like I know like, God, there has to be a, a church that loves each other the way the New Testament calls us to. And I'm not saying that other churches don't. I'm just saying like I, I feel called to be a part of and plant a church that loves each other like that. 
And along the way, there have been some milestones, other mile markers, other milestones along the way. I mean, uh, the, the original 16, the OG 16, like, you know, it was, <laughs> it was small. We met in a rec, uh, a rec center here in Carolina Forest uh, and Sunday evenings, and man, that was hard and that was rough. I mean, uh, the Cassidys came and left and then came back somewhere in that process, and I thought we had lost them. Like, you know, it, it was a weird, weird time. And then we finally launched in 2013, the week before Easter, and we were so excited. And the next week, like, we had a quarter of the people that were there. And that first two summers, it was it was tough. There were, I would hope that it was a week that uh, the shanks were not. Some Sundays in here in those summers where he had 12 people in this gym. Can you imagine that? It's not hard to preach to a large group. It is really hard to preach to 12 people, uh, particularly when they're staring back and saying, hey, you got to bring something this morning. Another mile marker was whenever uh, we got, we, uh, Dale and I first became elders. That was right before the launch, actually. And then uh, a about a year or two ago, uh, Jonathan jumped on board and became the third elder. Those are big deals. Uh, uh, another mile marker was our first baptisms. That was uh, Noah Macbeth and uh, Charles Grace, who we've sent to California. They call themselves baptism buddies. It was cold in that water that day, but we were super excited and stoked to be able to have our first baptisms. Uh, also, another big move was the first time we brought on part-time staff. and We actually had like money that we could pay people to do things that they were doing around the church. That was a big deal. We brought on deacons a year and a half or so ago, something like that, and that was a big deal. That was a mile marker. We've had a number of births because you guys like to do things that create babies, and they keep you keep keep on creating the babies around here. And we it's like if we had the first birth, and then it just started just like an avalanche from there. And then another mile marker I think would be our first Christmas Eve service. That was a few years ago. You know, we tried. We gave it a swing, Dale, but it may not have been our best swing, but we gave a swing. And, uh, and then this also, so Christmas Eve service, we just had our third Christmas Eve service a couple of weeks ago. Um, and this is pr- pretty cool. A couple, a couple of cool things. Uh, we broke uh, between the two services on the 23rd and 24th. If you were here on that Sunday, you're like, man, <laughs> this is scary. It's like back to the 12 people that y'all were holding out for Christmas Eve. But between the two services, uh, we broke the 200 barrier for the first time. We broke 250. We had over 280 people here between the two Christmas services. That's a pretty cool, that's not something to get, exci- get excited, but that, the, the thing to really get excited about is we had at least one profession of faith in a Christmas services. Isn't that awesome? That, that's... That's the real awesome. Thanks you for clapping for that. Thanks you. Uh, thank you for clapping for that. Uh, and, and now we're at a, another milestone in our history, and one that has again drastically affected uh, our family, Megan and my family. Uh, you guys called me to be your first full-time pastor here. That began last week at the beginning of the year. So that's kind of a, a big deal. Um, and this milestone really reflects our growth. So many ways, all the ways that you guys serve and give, it is amazing. It constantly astounds us, the amount of buy-in that we have from you guys each week, week in and week out. Love you, Brandy. But just like, she's, she's good to have. But just, but just like any milestone, okay, just like any milestone, it, it does, it's not there to, like, to, to mark where we have been and where we've come from. 
though we can stop and celebrate that. But the, the real purpose of a milestone is to mark what is ahead of us. What is, what is not, a, not like, hey, now we can afford to have Randy. You know what would be natural be, hey, uh, we have kind of a quorum here now of people, and uh, we were able to finally hire Randy, and we got kind of a little bit of a staff, and we could get you know, comfortable uh, budget-wise, and it would be the na- most natural thing in the world just to kind of sit back and relax and say, all right, you paid staff, now you guys go do your thing, and we're going to like take a deep breath for a second. But the purpose of a mile marker, the purpose of a milestone is not to say, hey, look at how far we've come, though we can do that. It's to say, hey, look at all what is ahead of us. Look, let's imagine this morning what God wants Doxa Church to be. Let's dream about what God has in store, not just for Doxa Church, but also you individually. What is God calling you to do? What is God calling you to be? What is the person, the Christian, the man, the woman that God has called you to be? And what is the church that God has called us to be in the future? We've come very far, but there is a lot to go ahead of us that God has for us, and I truly, deeply believe it. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to imagine the church that God has called us to be. We're going to do that this morning and next week. And this morning, what I want us to do is imagine a church in constant awe. Imagine a church in constant awe. Now this comes from the passage that Kate read for us this morning, verse 43 of Acts chapter 2. And awe came upon every soul. We'll just read that whole section again. And they devoted themselves so uh, this is falls right after the day of Pentecost, the day the, the Christian church was born. God had uh, sent Jesus Christ. He had lived a perfect life, died a death, rose again, and he told the disciples that he was going to ascend into heaven. He was going to send his Holy Spirit to them and to, for them to wait in Jerusalem until that happened. The day of Pentecost came. The Holy Spirit fell upon them. P- Peter preached a sermon, and 3,000 people were added on the first day of the church. Hey, that should kind of raise our expectations of what God has for us in the future, right? God can remake a city. He can remake a church. He can remake a neighborhood in a moment. Not because Peter preached an awesome sermon, because God's Holy Spirit had fallen. When that happened, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship That's the relationships with each other to the breaking of bread. That's actually them having meals together and partaking of communion, which we will do later, and prayers and awe came upon every soul. Imagine a church in constant awe. We're going to see this morning three things. What does that mean? What could this mean? And what should it mean? What What does that mean? What could that mean? And what should it mean? First of all, what does it mean? Uh, now, it's interesting, this passage here is a very famous passage. It falls right after the day of Pentecost, and uh, most scholars believe that it is put here to be an example for what the Christian life is supposed to look like. It's not going to look exactly like this all the time. The pattern's not always going to be the same, but it's put here because it's sort of like an acid test, like, hey, when the Spirit is in your midst, this is what results 
When the Spirit is in your midst and people are, uh, see the beauty that is found in the face of Jesus Christ and they are born again, this is what happens when a group of people see that together. They devote themselves to the teaching, the fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers. And then down in verse 47, which we're going to look at next week, praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. And the reason that's put here is for us to remind us, hey, look, this is what church is supposed to look like. It's sort of like the game of telephone. You ever guys played that before, the game of gossip where you have somebody at the end of one line and you whisper a phrase and it kind of goes down and then you ask the last person, hey, what did you hear? And it's almost always something totally different than what was said originally, right? That's because the message tends to degrade. It is passed down from person to person over time. And this is put here so the message does not degrade so that we don't forget, so we don't fall, which we are so prone to do, to fall for lesser than what God has called the church to be. Isn't that so easy? There at 7.30, and we're going to unpack the trailer, and we're going to set up, and then you know, I, and we're going to sing some songs, and I'm going to preach, and we're going to be done, and we're going to pack back up, and hopefully I can have lunch. Like, it's very easy to get caught up in just thinking of like the mundane, and uh, then Tuesday comes around, or Thursday comes around, or Wednesday, whenever your community group is, and i got to show up, and you know, man, I'll get out of there as quickly as I possibly can, and why are they talking so long tonight? I don't know i got to put the kids down, and i got to sleep. Like, it, it's easy to get caught up in the mundane and lower our expectations for what the church is called to be, but this reminds us, this is the acid test of what the Christian life is supposed to look like. We, we see a lot of activity in this passage, right? We see them, they devote themselves to the teaching of the, of the, of the apostles. They devote themselves to fellowship, to breaking of bread, to prayers, that we see signs and wonders done by the apostles. We see that the believers were together. They lived in community, in deep community with each other. And it says they had everything in common. That means that no one went without because the people who had more made sure those who had less had enough. Isn't that a beautiful picture? And it says that they day by day lived together and they did so praising God. But now there's a lot of activity, a lot of action going on here, but something stands out out of this whole list as you read this passage. Something stands out because there's a lot of things that we see the believers doing, but there's one thing that we see that was done to them. The believers did a lot of things, but there's one thing that we see that was done to them. You see it? Verse 43, I've already told you, you should see, and awe came upon every soul. It's not something that they did. It was something that was done to them. What we see here is this awe that came upon them was the heart and the wellspring of all the activity that we see in the early church. All the devotion to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers and the signs and wonders that were done and sharing with each other and praising God day by day from house to house and in the temple, all that happened, the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. But the reason, the wellspring, the heart of all that is that they had this sense of awe or that word there is fear or reverence. So that's kind of a weird phrase, right? In the middle of all this stuff going on, why would it say that awe or fear Fear came upon all of them. And here's why. Because every time that we see, this is a picture 
that God's presence was with them and among them. Because every time we see God's presence show up to people and the angel appears to people and proclaims a message, what does it say happens? It says that they in Luke, whenever the angels appeared to the shepherds, in fact, even before that, when the angels appeared to Joseph, and before that, when the angels appeared to Mary, it says that when that happened, great fear came upon them. It's always a sign that fear, that reverence, that God is in your midst. So there's a sense because God is other and greater than us. He is holy. Picture there is a picture of weight, that when God is around, there is a weight that you sense and that you feel. There's someone greater and other and bigger and larger and cleaner and more powerful than me in my presence. And so the only response we naturally have is fear. And so the reason this language is here is to show us that they were incredibly aware that God's presence was in their midst. The interesting thing, though, we don't have time to really go into is that though it says that they had that sense of awe or fear, that no one had to tell them not to be afraid. You know why? Because of Jesus. The sense of God's presence in their midst still brought a sense of awe and reverence. But nobody had to tell them not to be afraid because the point of the gospel is saying, because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf, paying the, the penalty that you justly owed to him, you don't have to be afraid of him anymore. Reverence, absolutely. Awe, all the time. Fear, not that kind of fear. There was an awareness of God's presence in and among them. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. The, the disciples and the apostles, the, the followers of Jesus that were gathered in that upper room had no more information about Jesus at the end of the day of Pentecost than they had at the beginning. They had walked with him for three years. They had heard his teaching. He had appeared to them resurrected. They knew he had risen. He had shared with them uh, about who he was and how he opened several, as he walked with them the road to Emmaus, he opened them and showed them how all of scripture was about him. They had all the information that they needed to know about Jesus. What changed the day of Pentecost? God's presence fell upon them and filled them. And now God's presence, the great promise of the Old Testament, I will be with you, I will be in you, and I will be among you. I will be your God and you will be my people came true on the day of Pentecost. And that's what changed things. God's presence was no longer hidden behind a veil among his people. He was in and among them in a way that he had never been before. It was the miracle of Pentecost, and this is the distinguishing characteristic of Christianity. God's presence in and among his people is the distinguishing characteristic of Christianity. There are many things that set Christianity apart from other religions and other ideologies. But the one thing that cannot be copied, and it isn't even, it isn't even claimed by anybody else, is that God's presence dwells. If I'm saying I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, I am saying I believe and I know that God's presence dwells in me and that as we are gathered here today as his people, he is gathered among us. That's what is the acid test of Christianity. It's what sets us apart from every Everything else is what changed on the day of Pentecost. It brings a sense of awe whenever we know he is in our midst. Have you ever felt that? You've been driving along and maybe you're singing to a song or maybe you're praying or maybe you're gathered with somebody. Maybe it was a community group. Maybe it was a Sunday morning. And all of a sudden, like something changes, right? And you know, like, God, I know you're everywhere, but right now I know you are here. 
that sense of awe. And this tells us that that was, they, the, the early church was in constant awe because of God's presence in them and among them. They had a sense of it in their souls that they knew that they had been born again, not because anybody on the outside had to tell them, not because they prayed a prayer or checked a box on a card, but because they knew that he had come and was now dwelling within them. And if you are a believer, you have experienced that. And if you're here and you think that you're a believer and you're not sure if you've ever experienced that, if you've ever known that, maybe, maybe you've like been around church but you've never actually been converted and been born again, this could be that morning. We would love to talk with you and pray with you and show you how that can happen for you. But it first happens in our souls. And then it, they had a sense of awe in their gatherings. As they gathered and they felt God's presence in them. There's this picture in 1 Peter that we're going to see. It's the next series we're going to be in after this. That this is sort of picture where each of us are like small little temples that hold the presence of God, but yet together he is taking these small temples that hold the presence of God and he's building us together and building a great big temple that holds the presence of God. Because you know what? There's not enough of Jesus inside me to show the world clearly who he is. We need all of us together and the unique manifestations of Christ in each of you to declare to the world the greatness and glory and beauty that is found in the face of Jesus Christ. The, his presence is no longer confined behind the veil in the temple of Jerusalem. His presence is in me and in you and we individually and we together our mobile temples taking the presence of God into our daily lives. And so when they gathered together, God's presence was in their midst. He was moving. He was doing incredible things. And they had a sense of awe. He was in their midst. There was a sense of awe in their encounters. Not long after this, we see that Peter and John were we're walking and they're going to the temple and they pass by a beggar and the beggar would always have been there. And this day he cries out to them. He, he asked for alms and they didn't have any money. And they say, hey, and instead of just saying, hey, I don't have any money or blowing it off or whatever, for some reason, for some reason at that moment, they looked at him and said, hey, we don't have any money. We don't have any silver or gold, but what we do have, we will give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And God used that moment, that man being healed, to declare to He changed. There's a sense of awe in their souls, a sense of awe in their gatherings, and a sense of awe in their daily encounters. You know what happened to them? It made all of life a sacramental action. You know what a sacrament is? It's a holy action that we take. And whenever you have a sense that, when they had a sense that God was in their souls and he was in their gatherings and he was saying things like walking to the temple or going to church or going to work or a conversation with a neighbor into a moment to see and experience the awe of the presence of God in your life because you, they were walking small temples of God's presence and together the church was being built into a large temple of God's presence to go out into daily life. And it made the mundane 
mundane daily tasks like eating and providing for their families and just hanging out with friends, right? Isn't it interesting, the list of things here? Like we see like signs and wonders and miracles and the teaching and prayer. That all makes sense. Then it says like, hey, they ate dinner together and they hung out with each other, right? Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food just simple thing like eating meals with glad and generous hearts. It turned into those mundane daily tasks into a sacramental action. Why? Because God was in them and among them, and they had a sense of awe that he was there. God's Spirit now dwelt in and among his people, and there was no more separation between God and man. He was among his people as they acknowledged Jesus as their rightful king and their Lord and their Savior and their God. God's presence was in and with his people. Uh, in, in, in doing that, it is the remaking of all that went wrong at the fall. You know what went wrong at the fall? Adam and Eve uh, did not acknowledge God as the center of their lives, as God as the Lord of their lives, as God as the provider of all that they needed, and they turned away from him to try to provide for themselves. And that broke all of creation. Well, in salvation, in God being poured out in and among his people through Jesus Christ, it is the remaking of all that was made wrong in the fall. And you and I, if you're a believer, get to experience the beginning of that remaking, knowing that one day it's going to be fully consummated and ending. It's a correction from our self-rule and worship to being ruled by and worshiping the rightful one. And that correction in their heart created drastic changes in their hearts, in their thoughts, in their actions, and in their relationships. They become holy carriers of the presence of the holy and all-powerful God. That awe they experienced was a sense of what was a result of experiencing God's presence and experiencing experiencing God's work on their behalf. When you are experiencing God's presence and you experience his work, it continually leaves you in awe. And isn't that the kind of life that we want to live? If you're a believer in Christ, I know this about you. The deepest beat of your heart says, God, I want to live a life of awe where I'm constantly astounded at who you are and what you have done for me and what you're doing around me and most maybe amazingly what you're doing through me to other people is something that can't be faked. You can go through the motions of devoting yourself to teaching and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayer, but that sense of awe is not something that can be faked. It's not something that can be manufactured. But it must be, this is my opinion, it must be the number one judge of success for a church. It's not what we're doing, it's who we're experiencing. And that changes everything. I'm not saying that we do less, but that doing comes from a different place. The doing doesn't create that. I can't preach a great sermon and create that. I may not be able to preach a great sermon. We can't have a great service or do anything awesome and make that happen It happens, and because of that, we devote ourselves to all those things. 
It's a response and not the cause. That's what it means when we see in Acts that awe came upon every soul. But what could this mean? What could this mean? Can you imagine a church? Can you ima- I want you to imagine right now. Can you imagine a church that lived in constant awe? Can you imagine a church that lived in constant awe? What would that church look like? What would our church look like? If we had a, a sense of, a constant sense, and I know it ebbs and flows, but I'm talking about a constant, continual, regular sense of his of awe at who he is and what he has done in my soul and in our gatherings and in our encounters. What effect would that have on us if we had that? What effect would that have on the community around us? I'm going to tell you, there's, it is impossible for a, for a person, for a church to experience that and it not have an effect on our families and our neighbors and our workplaces and our community. It is impossible for that to happen and it not have an effect. What would your life or how would your life look different if you were aware that you are a living temple of God's presence? As we begin this 2019, and we all have you know, resolutions, right? Some of, us, some of you guys have already begun and failed an exercise routine and or diet. But as we're looking out over the next year, how would patterns of sin and selfishness in your life change if you had a sense that you are a living temple of God's presence? How would you tackle your, the issues in your marriages and the issues in your relationships with friends and boyfriends and girlfriends and kids and uh, classmates and uh, coworkers? How would you tackle those issues differently if you were aware that you are a living temple of God's presence in you? How would you finally approach dealing with hurts and strongholds from your past that continually trip you up if you're aware of God's presence in you, his presence among us. How would our church gatherings look different if we together as a people were aware of God's presence in and among us? How would it look different? Again, I'm not talking about putting actions before that. I'm just saying imagine a church where there was a sense of awe in our midst. Wow, how would things look different? Um, the nature of our church, just kind of the basic kind of, you know, who we are as a church, like uh, when, when there's an issue, like we're going to throw a sermon at it, we're going to throw a class at it, uh, we're going to hand you a book to read. We're, uh, we're going to, you know, it, we're, we tend to be kind of booky, wordy. That's just kind of the way we're put together. And I think that's great. There's nothing bad about that. That's, that is awesome. I think we're people of the word. We should, <laughs> we should celebrate that. But I think sometimes we miss that, like, prayer. Like, waiting on the Lord like seeking him whenever we gather together, saying, God, would your presence be with us? And we know you're with us, but would it be felt among us? 
God, we, we come expecting that you're going to show up in amazing ways and that when you do so, like blind eyes are going to be opened and the, the people who are dead and their trespasses and sins will be awakened. People who are stuck in their issues will be freed on the spot. I think when there's a, a sense of God's presence in us among us, our services would look a little less non-participatory. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like, like, like we've, had, I, we've had people ask, like, hey, is it okay if I clap? Like, is this allowed? Like, I don't know, you know, is it, maybe this is okay. I don't know if this is okay. Like, if I sway a little bit, like, is that going to throw everybody off? And like, look, and among us, and we have a sense of awe at his presence, there's going to be an authentic, unprovoked, natural response of us when we gather together of awe and celebration and wonder. There'll be times when it'll be emotional. There'll be times when it'll be, it'll, it'll be, it might cause you to cry. There are times it might cause you to, maybe you might want to dance a little bit. I'm not saying anything. I'm not saying I will because you don't, probably don't want to see that, but I'm just saying in our midst that people could not help but to respond to the goodness and greatness of our God. How would it change the way that we approach and we prepare for our worship gatherings together? Would we fast and would we pray? We say, God, would you move? God, I'm going to invite my neighbor. God, would you move in powerful ways? God, I, I know we've talk, been talking at a community group about how so-and-so has been inviting their friend at work. God, would you help that person to come? Would you cause certain circumstances to happen so they come? And would you, would you help their eyes become open that day? And what would happen when we gathered together? Acts 1, 37, sorry, 237, and Peter's preaching that first sermon. Now when they heard this, it's the sermon, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? In verse 47, it says, the Lord added to their number day by day, those who are being saved. And then in 1 Corinthians 14, it talks about how when we gather, and if we're, it says if all prophesies, but it's really talking about how that could be a community group, that could be here. It's saying that when we are speaking God's word to each other, an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Isn't that what we want? And you know who gets the glory when that, when that happens? Not a great preacher or a great staff or a great program. God gets all the glory. How would our encounters with other people be different if we lived a daily life with a sense of awe? What would we talk about with other people? I think we would be talking about the amazing things that God has done for us and on our behalf. I think we would be sharing with people the good news of Jesus Christ, and I think we would see God move in amazing ways. Can you imagine a church in constant awe? That kind of church is appealing, and it's intoxicating, 
It's a church that's full of activity, but it's not a church that's known by its activity. It's a church that's known by to be known by. What should it mean? I'm going to bring this to a halt. I could talk a long time about this, and you say, well, you already have. What should it mean? I'll share that this this picture of a church with a sense of awe is the longing of my soul. It's what has beat there in my heart ever since the dream of planting a church was there. There was no concept of planting a church apart from planting a church where that sense of awe was in our midst so that God moved powerfully among us and through us outside for his glory. We said from the beginning that our DNA is Jesus, worship, community, and mission, but you don't get the others apart from Jesus. You don't get the others apart from a sense of his presence in us and among us. So what do we do? Well, it's really pretty simple. First of all, I think we as a church, we pray for awe. Here's a question I want to ask you. If God answered your prayers from the past month, like if they, all the prayers that you prayed the past month came true, what would be coming true? Like, I think a lot of food would be blessed. I think a lot of you guys would have like great traveling mercies, whatever that is, right? Or would people actually have come to know the Lord? Would God have moved in our midst? Would there be a sense of presence in my life and in your life and in our gatherings that could not be explained except that God was in our midst? I think we pray for that awe. And I think we repent for our lack of awe. Look, your devotion to Teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer, like those things don't create a sense of his presence, but they oftentimes show us where there's disobedience in our heart that is, that is where we are, have disvalued that, where we have looked to ourselves and pleasing ourselves and our lives and our belly and our minds and our pleasure rather than pleasing him. We pray for that awe. We repent of our lack of awe. And then thirdly, we reorder our priorities. We pray, God, would you move? Would you move in me, first of all? Would you move in our midst? God, I repent and help us lead us in the church into repentance. And thirdly, Lord, Help me reorder my priorities. I'm not talking about New Year's resolutions. I'm talking about, God, help me reorder my priorities if I really believe that that is the most, that is the distinguishing characteristic of Christianity. Then God, help me reorder my priorities so that I, I, that is the distinguishing characteristic of my life. I think that involves they say they've done studies, and they shouldn't have had to do studies for this. The number one factor of a Christian who who feels that they're growing in their life as a Christian is a Christians who are daily in the Bible. 
and we're providing a way. Began January 1st. Hey, if you don't, if you're like, hey, I haven't read any of it, or like we started a reading plan January 1st, like you can jump on now, but find, and if it's not that, find something, but get in the word daily and get some people around you that say, hey, make sure I stay accountable for this. Because just like a diet or exercise or any sort of real true priority, it's going to taste bad for a while. It's going to feel weird for a while until it suddenly starts to like, man, this is life. Get involved in growth opportunities and all the growth opportunities you can possibly find. Find mentoring relationships. Find older people or people who are just further along in the faith than you are. They could be actually be younger than you and say, hey, would you mentor me and help me to grow as a believer? And lastly, to find ways to serve. Find ways to serve that will take your attention off yourself and people pleasing you and the church pleasing you and saying, God, I'm going to jump in. I'm going to find a way to serve in church. I'm going to find a way to serve my family and my neighbors. I'm going to find a way to serve the community. God, I want to join you in your work and the way that you are working around me. I want to join you in that work. Imagine a church in constant awe. Isn't that what we want? I pray the Lord would answer that. He would make that our reality at Doc said. He made that our reality in each of our individual lives. I can think of nothing more beautiful. And as your new full-time pastor, like that's the only thing I want to devote my life to. Is seeing that happen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.